0: Hi, and welcome to the Part 3 With Me podcast. The show that helps Part 3 students jumpstart into their careers as qualified architects and also to provide refresher episodes for practicing architects. I am your host, Maria Scudari. And this week, we will be talking about health and safety in construction. So today's episode meets PC3 of the Part 3 criteria. So today's episode essentially covers the key aspects clients, designers and others should be aware of in making sure construction work is done safely and without risks to health and safety. So health and safety laws that apply to construction companies are usually enforced by an inspector from the HSE, the Health and Safety Executive. However, some smaller jobs uh, inside offices, shops and similar premises are the responsibility of inspectors from the local authority. So the initial steps with health and safety in construction would be to make sure the working environment achieves healthy and safe working conditions before work begins and ensure the proposed work won't be putting others at risk and that all issues have been planned, organized, controlled, monitored and reviewed accordingly. So firstly, the work should be planned, meaning gathering as much health and safety information about the project and the proposed site before work begins. So, find out about the history of the site and its surrounding, and if there are any unusual features which may affect the work. Uh, any specific concerns to keep in mind is um, checking for asbestos or other contaminants, any uh, overhead power lines and underground services, any unusual ground conditions, any public right of way, nearby schools, footpaths, roads, or railways or any other activities going on at the site. This information should be found within the pre-construction information, which is prepared by the principal designer. So following the information gathered, the next step would be to organize the work. So a suitable trained person uh, to supervise the work should be identified and the HSE should be notified in writing before construction um, work begins. So the works should be notified using the F-10 form to the HSE uh, if the works are expected to last longer than 30 days or involve more than 500 person days of construction work. And then a copy of the notification details should be displayed uh, at a place uh, on the site where it can be easily read. So then once the works have been notified uh, to the HSE, then the site should be set up ready for works to commence. So the first item would be to provide access to the site for people and vehicles and plan how vehicles will be kept clear of pedestrians uh, at vehicle loading and unloading areas, uh, any parking arrangements and manoeuvring places and areas. So then construction work should be fenced off and suitably signed, protecting the general public from site dangers. And the site from vandalism and theft. So if the site is to be shared with others, an agreement should be put in place on who has control of which area. So then as part of the site setup, welfare facilities should be put in place. So everyone who works um, on site has access to adequate toilet and washing facilities, a place for preparing and consuming refreshments and a place for storing for plant materials, waste, uh, any flammable substances and hazardous substances, and a space for drying clothing and personal protective equipment. So principal contractors are typically responsible for providing or making um, these facilities available on site and that they are suitable for everyone working on the site. So adequate lighting should also be provided throughout the site for people to see their work and move about the site safely. So where adequate natural lighting isn't available, artificial lighting should be provided and emergency routes should be kept well lit while there are workers on site. So when it comes to emergency procedures, uh, routes and exits should be taken into account including the type of work being done on site, the characteristics and size of the site, including number and location of workplaces on the site, the plant and equipment being used, the number of people likely to be present on the site at any uh, one time, and the physical and chemical properties of substances or materials on or likely to be on site. So precautions should then be taken to ensure The likelihood of emergencies arising is as low as possible. That everyone on site can be alerted in an emergency. Also, that everyone working on site knows what signal will be given if there are any emergencies and they know what to do. Someone who has been trained in what to do is on site while work is in progress and will take uh, responsibility for coordinating uh, the procedures. Uh, Then making sure that emergency routes are available, kept clear, signed and adequately lit. Uh, That there are arrangements for calling the emergency services. Also ensuring there is adequate access to the site for the emergency services and that access doesn't become uh, blocked by plant or material building up. Uh, Making sure that arrangements for treating and recovering injured people are available. And if any emergency does arise, someone is posted at the site entrance or in any other prominent position so that they can direct the emergency services. So in the case of an emergency of someone being injured on site, the Health and Safety First Aid Regulations 1981 require employers to provide adequate and appropriate equipment, facilities and personnel to enable first aid to be given to employees If they are injured or become ill at work. So the minimum provision for all sites is a first aid box, an appointed person to take charge of first aid arrangements and information telling workers the name of the appointed person or first aider and where to find them. So employers have a duty under the law, under the reporting of injuries, diseases and dangerous occurrences regulations 1995 to report to the HSE certain types of accidents that happen on site. Such incidents should be reported within 10 days of occurring. So then once the site has been set up, the construction phase health and safety should be considered in eliminating hazards. Therefore, effective management of work activities and competent site supervision are essential in maintaining health Healthy and safe conditions. So, as we covered in the previous uh, risk assessment episode, before work starts, hazards should be considered and how they can be avoided altogether, how risks can be controlled, the best way in controlling them, and deciding what needs to be done and making sure it happens. So, people visiting or working um, on site should therefore receive the necessary information about the site hazards. ...and the steps that have been taken to control the risks. So the principal contractor has a duty to ensure that only authorised people are allowed where construction work is being done. So a key hazard that requires special attention and precautions is work at height. So where it cannot be avoided, putting measures in place to prevent falls from height should be first priority... ...such as using work equipment that protects all those at risk such as uh, fall protection equipment used as a work restraint uh, system. And such systems prevent uh, workers from getting into a fall position as they are physically unable to get close enough to the open edge. But one of the problems in using uh, fall arrest equipment is that it only protects a person if they wear the harness properly. And harnesses shouldn't be used unless a suitable positioned Uh, anchorage is specified. So use of such equipments requires a high degree of training, competence and supervision. So among a number of other hazards, another key item that requires specific consideration and management is the proper planning of site traffic to minimize the number of vehicle movements by um, providing car and van parking for the workforce and visitors away from the work area and strictly controlling uh, parking within the work area. Also, um, gates or barriers are promoted to be used to control entry into the work area and display procedure for obtaining entry. And also the location of stores uh, and goods receiving uh, areas need to be planned uh, to reduce any need for delivery vehicles to travel through the site And also appropriate speed limits will also need to be set and the need for vehicles to reverse needs to be planned to avoid it as much as possible. But if there are areas where vehicles have to reverse, the area should be sufficiently planned in order to provide the driver with sufficient uh, direct vision behind the vehicle. And the vehicle must be fitted with reversing alarms and vision aids and a trained signaler to control the maneuvering. And there should also be provision uh, to be made to provide separate walkways between vehicles and pedestrians. Now, when it comes to demolition, dismantling and structural alterations, these also require careful consideration and planning under the construction phase health and safety. Um, So such works require careful planning and execution by contractors. And a key thing to note here is that the CDM regulations apply to all demolition and dismantling work, and it is vital that clients fulfill their legal obligation to provide information about the structure to be demolished, meaning a pre-demolition structural survey needs to be commissioned from a structural engineer. Then the principal contractor, who may also be the demolition contractor, must coordinate and manage the health and safety issues during the demolition works. So the key to developing a safe system of work is choosing a work method that keeps people as far away as possible from the risks. So the proposed working methods should be detailed in a health and safety method statement before work starts, and the site should be surveyed for hazardous materials and structural conditions beforehand. So a key element that must always be considered for the safe working in construction is the use of protective equipment to protect workers against injuries. So this includes the use of hard hats given on almost all sites. There is a risk of injury from falling items. And these should be addressed by providing suitable head protection. Another piece of protective equipment is the use of suitable footwear which includes boots with steel toe caps and midsoles, and the use of goggles and safety spectacles for eye protection from flying objects, uh, sparks, radiation, and chemical splashes. And also, suitable outdoor and high visibility clothing should be worn to protect against the weather and to be seen by uh, others to allow them to work safely, uh, as well as wearing gloves to protect against dust. Uh, wet concrete and solvents. So one aspect of health and safety in construction that must never be forgotten or overlooked is the health and safety of the public. So the best way to protect members of the public is to keep them out of the area of working and this can be typically achieved by erecting a two meter high perimeter fence or hoarding and great caution must always be taken from falling objects. So netting or covered walkways should be provided where risk is particularly high to protect uh, passers-by. So if visitors are entering the working area, they should report to the person in charge and know where to go through the use of suitable signage and notices. And lastly, on health and safety and construction matters, The person responsible needs to make sure that all relevant checks are being carried out and that people are fulfilling their duties. So key questions that need to be considered are who is responsible for monitoring health and safety on site and are they trained and competent to carry out this role? Who is responsible for managing and monitoring any contractors while they are on site to check they are working safely and to their method statement as agreed? Is there a safety advisor employed to visit sites and review safety? And do they report problems to the site manager and to the employer? Action must be taken and put in place before an accident or someone's health uh, is damaged. So keeping a record of accidents, illnesses and treatments given by first aiders will help to identify um, common trends. And if an accident happens, find out what happened and why. And consider whether the accident would have happened if the work had been better planned or managed or employees had been better trained. So serious and fatal accidents must be notified without delay to the HSE. And this uh, must then be followed up with a completed accident report uh, using the form F2508 within 10 days. For less serious injuries where the injured person is unfit or unable to do their normal job for more than three consecutive days, a completed accident report form F2508 must be sent to the HSE within 10 days. Now, if a dangerous occurrence happens on site, for example, building scaffold or false work collapse, failure of a crane or lifting device or contact with overhead power lines. This must be reported immediately, uh, normally by phone, to the nearest HSE office. And the details must be confirmed within 10 days on a completed accident report form, F2508. And if a worker suffers from a specific disease associated with their current job, for example, hand-arm vibration syndrome, and some form of dermatitis, that must also be reported to the HSE on a Completed Disease Report form, which is the F2508A. So, to sum up what I discussed today, all construction work should be carried out with health and safety in mind for everyone involved, including the general public. The working environment should be checked that it achieves healthy and safe working conditions, before any work begins and ensure the proposed work won't be putting others at risk and that all issues have been planned, organized, controlled, monitored and reviewed. The pre-construction information prepared by the principal designer should be reviewed in the first instance to inform how the works should be planned. Then the next step would be to organize the work so a suitable trained person to supervise the works is identified and the HSE is notified in writing before construction work starts. Uh, Once the site has been set up, the construction phase health and safety should be considered in eliminating hazards, which is when risk assessments should be carried out. And lastly, the person responsible needs to make sure that all relevant checks are being carried out throughout the duration of the works and that people are fulfilling their duties and accidents are being monitored and notified accordingly to the HSE using the relevant form. As always, I like to provide you guys with a scenario just to put what I just went through into context. So, today's scenario is about a barn conversion, which is a private self-build job. It is only uh, one story. However, one of the site operatives has had a fall and is in the hospital. And paralysed from the waist down. So he was working off a ladder to fix um, a rafter to the wall plate. The ladder was sitting on debris left by the bricklayers who have now finished on site. So the HSE uh, has been involved and is asking who the principal contractor was at the time. Um, So your practice was the principal designer And upon appointment, they had sent uh, the guidelines from the HSE to the client about the role of the principal contractor on domestic jobs. And we had left it to them to sort out. So what happened was the client put themselves down as principal contractor on the tender invitations to the contractors and on the F10 forum. And... He has only gone on site to observe the works. So he said maybe the principal contractor is whoever is on site at any one time. And uh, he made no reference to uh, health and safety matters in the invitation to tender or the appointment letter. So as part of um, what you need to do, you need to draft uh, a letter setting out how CDM regulations work in this instance and what the client should have done and the repercussions uh, of this incident. Then you are also expected to prepare a memo considering how the HSE might view um, the practice given this is a lay client dealing with a self-built project and that we uh, are paid to do monthly visits. And a key thing to note is that as a practice, We weren't on site at the date of the incident, but we saw the mess that was left by the bricklayers. So first you will start with the letter to the client, setting out the CDM regulations and how they work in this instance. So you would start by saying, um, obviously, that the reason for this letter is to assist uh, them in understanding their duties under the CDM regulations 2015 and how these will apply to the current incidents and the likely repercussions which may occur. So you can go on to say that firstly, um, we would like to outline how uh, CDM work at this instant and their duties under them. So since this is a self build project, their duties as client fall under the duties of a domestic client And since they were arranging the appointment of the various contractors and coordinating the site, they are considered to be their own project manager and therefore taking on control of construction work. However, since they appointed a number of individual contractors to carry out different packages of the work, they would be expected to advise um, the client on any specialist matters within their own activities and therefore, the HSE would expect um, the client's role to be limited to coordinating and managing and not supervising the contractors on site. So the individual contractors under self-built projects are expected to plan, manage and monitor their own work in compliance with uh, CDM 2015. So since more than one contractor would be on site at the same time, uh, the Client should have appointed a principal contractor. So although they noted themselves as principal contractor, since they don't obtain the necessary skills, knowledge and experience to undertake such a role, if they had read the information the practice sent regarding the role of the principal contractor on domestic jobs, they would have realized that they would require to appoint an independent principal contractor to plan, manage, and coordinate the construction works. And therefore, the responsibility of the F10 notification would have automatically passed on to the principal contractor. Then the practice as principal designers could have also carried out this duty if there was written agreement between the practice and the client to carry out such duties. However, since uh, they noted themselves as principal contractor on both the invitation to tender letters and the F-10 form, they are expected to undertake the necessary duties. So the HSE will expect the client to have taken all necessary measures to manage the health and safety of the works and failure to do so would place workers and others at risk of harm. So the HSE will, as a result, put a stop to the works and they can prosecute or fine the client for the incident which occurred, since they didn't have adequate risk assessments and method statements in place before the works commenced to prevent or control the hazards. So if they didn't note themselves as the principal contractor, then by not appointing another to undertake that role, those duties would have automatically transferred to the contractor's. However, site operatives are trained to ensure their work is carried out safely and without risk to themselves or others, and their constant training means they are up to date with the current health and safety legislation, ensuring they are following the recognised procedure on site. So the bricklayers are also at fault for not carrying out their duties under health and safety in cleaning and tidying their working zone at the end of each day, to prevent harm to themselves or others, uh, to which the injured operative is entitled to claim for compensation caused by their negligence. So that um, would sum up roughly what you could send to the client outlining how the CDM regulations would work in this instance and what they should have done and the repercussions of this incident. Uh, Then you can move on to the memo that you would send to your manager. So you could start by saying that you've gone through the CDM Regulations 2015 uh, with regards to our duties as principal designer to domestic clients. And a key thing to highlight is that we should have informed the client of his duties under CDM 2015 and under our duties we should have assisted the client in preparing the pre-construction information. Therefore, we should have planned, managed and monitored the pre-construction phase to ensure health and safety of carrying out uh, the project. So we should have also identified and eliminated as far as reasonably practicable any foreseeable risks to health or safety of any person. And it is also within our duties to liaise with the principal contractor relating to planning, management and monitoring information related to the construction phase and coordination of health and safety matters during that phase. Which obviously we clearly didn't do since we were not aware the client had assigned themselves as the principal contractor until the site incident occurred. So the fact that we had knowledge of the untidiness of the site due to the bricklayers can place us in a very risky position and we could possibly be facing a claim by the client and the HSE. So we should have made the client aware of this issue in order for him to take the necessary steps to remove all rubbish from the site and tidy the area to eliminate risks to health and safety. So the HSE will be placing the responsibility on our practice for not influencing how risks to health and safety are managed within the wider management of the project, and for not correctly informing the client of his duties under CDM 2015, as well as not informing the client in their duty to appoint a principal contractor, since more than one contractor would be working on site at the same time, and the possibility of transferring his duties to the principal contractor. So we should be more cautious when undertaking the role of principal designer in carrying out our duties uh, so we uh, can avoid such incidents from occurring and placing our practice at risk. So we should definitely inform our PI insurance of a potential claim rising uh, from both ends. So today's episode generally highlights uh, all the necessary steps that need to be taken Uh, for health and safety during construction and hopefully gave you a good overview on what needs to be done and how it can be dealt with in a real case scenario and that concludes today's episode if you would like to get in contact with me please feel free to email me on the address provided in the show notes thank you for listening this is an educational show aimed at supporting the future generation of architects the information opinions and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at your own risk. Please join me next week for some more part three with me